This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit calcedon.edu. That's C-H-A-L-C-E-D-O-N dot E-D-U to download this book in PDF format or to purchase this book. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by Rusus John Rushduni. Copyright 2007, Mark R. Rushduni. Published by Calcedon Ross House Books. P.O. Box 158, Vallecito, California, 95251. All rights reserved. The Cure of Souls. Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by R.J. Rushduni. Chapter 28. Confession and Culture. As Richard Weaver pointed out, ideas have consequences, as do practices, beliefs and customs. The modern belief, a product of humanism, is that all men are the same everywhere. Apart from the fact that all men are sinners, they have very little in common from one culture to another. A cannibal who believes that he gains strength by eating certain body parts of his victims is a very different kind of man than a university scholar. Henry Van Til rightly concluded that culture is religion externalised and cultures vary because their religions vary. Christianity, because it stresses the fact of original sin, requires us constantly to confess our sins to God and, where indicated, to one another and to pray for one another, from James 5.16. St John tells us, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. End quote from 1 John 1, 8-10. Not only these words, but also much else in scripture, especially the Psalms, make it very clear how essential confession is to the Christian. Not surprisingly, from the earliest days of the church, as with Ananias and Sapphira from Acts 5, confession was central to the believer's relationship to the Lord and to the Christian community. Until after World War II, confessions were a basic aspect of the church's life. Because of their anti-Catholicism, Protestants did not use terms such as the confessional, but it was commonplace with many evangelicals to require a converted or repentant sinner to repeat a confession after the pastor or a deacon while kneeling in prayer. He would then be encouraged to go from the general confession to his own specific one. This procedure of praying through to victory had varying names in different churches, but it was a vigorous confessional practice. St. Augustine, the father of autobiography, called his work Confessions. Autobiography as confession, a confession of one's unworthiness and God's marvellous grace, became a part of Christendom. The shift away from a Christian to a humanistic confession came into its own with Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Since then, humanistic confessions, some very boastful ones, have proliferated, and more than a few, like that of Frank Harris, are highly suspect. To confess one's sins to God is an act of contrition and humility. 
The confessing man places his life against the yardstick of God's law and recognises how wanting he is and how much he needs God's grace and mercy. Christendom has been marked by the confession of sin. The non-Christian world does not confess its sin on the whole so much as confessing victimisation by the gods or other men. Classical Greek tragedy, Sophocles and Euripides, gives us a very evil picture of life. Man is the victim of the gods and fate. Sophocles loads the deck mercilessly in Oedipus the king and Oedipus at Colonus. These works are a great drama to people enmeshed in the cult of victimisation and the culture of self-pity. Laius, king of Thebes, has been told by the oracle at Delphi that a son will be born to him and this son will kill him. When a son is born, he is given by the mother, Iacasti, to a Theban shepherd to be exposed to die. In pity, the shepherd gives the baby to another shepherd who takes the child to Corinth where the baby boy, his ancestry unknown, is adopted by King Polybus and his wife, Therope. Years later, taunted about his ancestry, Oedipus consults the oracle at Delphi and is told that it is his destiny to kill his father and wed his mother. He decides never to go near Corinth again. This is one of many aspects of a contrived plot. Oedipus already had some knowledge that he was not really the child of Polybus and Therope. As he journeys, he meets his real father, Laius, and they do battle, and Laius is killed, his identity unknown. In Thebes, he guesses the riddle of the Sphinx, is made king, and marries Iacasti, his real mother. Sixteen years later, two sons and two daughters are born of this incestuous union. But now there is a blight and a pestilence on Thebes sent by the gods. How will, the, how will the land be cleansed? A blind seer, Tiresias, is brought to Oedipus. Little by little, the truth comes out. Iacasti commits suicide. Oedipus blinds himself. This tale of horror continues in Oedipus at Colonus and in Antigone, which ends with the idiotically pious words, quote, Wisdom is the supreme part of happiness, and reverence towards the gods must be inviolate. Great words of prideful men are ever punished with great blows, and, in old age, teach the chastened to be wise. End quote. But, what, but of what use is wisdom when the gods, fate, or blind necessity make man a victim? Greek literature does not portray man as a sinner, but as a perpetual victim, and self-pity is the reaction, whether it be Oedipus or Ulysses. The Greek revival was and is an aspect of anti-Christianity, the rejection of the doctrine of man as sinner in favour of man as victim. It is a comfortable doctrine for sinners, and hence the appeal of writers like Sophocles. Oedipus is totally a victim. At every point, life or the gods conspire against him, Fate makes man a victim. Non-Christian religions confess the sins of others, not their own. It is karma, kismet, witchcraft or some like thing which is responsible for man's predicament. This radical belief in victimisation marks the non-Christian world. Because the nations of old Christendom are still in advance of them, the non-Christian nations, no matter how much they receive from the West, 
can only see themselves as victims and they can wax very eloquent in making such charges even when surrounded by their own failures. There may be strong caste lines and racial and tribal hatreds in their own countries, but these are overlooked to charge the generally tolerant West with bigotry. Ironically, some of those most vocal in making such charges have received scholarships and have studied in Europe and the United States. They return home to damn the West for minor slights while full of hatred for various groups in their own country. This religious belief in victimization is prevalent all over the world. It means that confession requires confessing the sins of others, not one's own. What all such peoples have in common is a belief in their victimization, which is another way of talking about original sin. After all, Adam and Eve, who sought to be their own gods, from Genesis 3.5, when confronted with their sin by God, began at once to complain to claim their status as victims. Adam's excuse was, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. From Genesis 3.12 In other words, it was the woman's fault, but in the final analysis, it was God's fault for giving Eve to him. Eve had a like excuse. It was all that evil tempter's work. From Genesis 3.13 the belief in victimization is a central aspect of original sin. As the dechristianization of the West has grown, so too has the belief in victimization on the part of all groups, capital, labor and agriculture, husbands and wives, parents and children and so on and on. Granted, there are problems within marriage, but many are due to the belief by both husbands and wives that they are being victimized. The less Christian their own family background, the more prone they are to assume they are being victimised, because anything less than perfection is seen as exploitation. Some years ago, a husband left for work with his wife berating him, a truly godly man, for a variety of reasons. She apparently meditated on how she was being victimised all day, because when he walked through the door after work, about nine hours later, her first words were, and another thing, with de-Christianisation, the belief in victimisation has grown. People see themselves not as sinners, but as victims, as exploited persons. In every sphere of life, political, marital, economic and so on, this belief in victimisation is not only commonplace, but also a major disturber of the peace. It can only be described as an ungodly and as surely the object of God's wrath, as in Eden. This is why the doctrine of confession is so very urgently important. A people who will not see themselves as sinners will see themselves as victims. The West did not begin with a superior people, but with barbarians, with peoples given to human sacrifice and to all kinds of evils. Confession of sins went against the grain for these peoples. They preferred to boast of them. Lamech's boastfulness about his readiness to kill from Genesis 4:23 to 24 was greatly amplified in history and it was very present in the barbarians of Europe and we see it even and we see it again among our neo-pagans let us agree to agree with the medieval catholic and reformation critics of the confessional and its many abuses they were real and they were many and very serious 
but in the process, a sense of human responsibility before God to obey his law word was steadily instilled. Thus, the critics of the confessional were able to criticise it in terms of the new sense of personal responsibility before God. In my father's day, a simple Muslim Turk did not say, I lost my jazz. Rather, he would instead say something like this, The jazz of Muhammad Ali has lost itself. Fate, not man, determined all things. Now, for many Muslims and others, the West has replaced fate as the guilty determiner and a non-Christian West is too often ready to agree with this absurd indictment. The culture of Christendom owes much to the confessional and its insistence on man's personal and total responsibility to and before God. A culture of responsibility is a culture of action. It does not wait on karma or fate. The Christian man under God is the agent of God in history. His work is dominion work. Confession gives him freedom from his sins and his evil past and gives him the freedom and the power of the spirit. The non-Christian, with his belief in victimization, is past bound. The self-styled victim lives in and broods about an imaginary past, whereas the Christian is free to face the future. Absolution means freedom, freedom from one's past and one's own self and deliverance into the world of grace, mercy and blessing. Christendom, thus, is marked by a confessing culture. Its arts are thus very personal without being self-absorbed. The non-Christian treasures the memory of sins, real or imagined, committed against him, whereas the true Christian moves in terms of present tasks and opportunities. The cult of victimization produces perpetual critics and angry men. According to an old Russian proverb, quote, Many a man would teach the lark how to sing, end quote. But larks cannot be taught to sing by men, only captured and killed. A culture without Christ becomes a culture addicted to seeing itself as a victim. It is forever at war with someone to its own hurt. Another Russian proverb calls attention to the folly of men. Quote, if your hand holds the dog's tail, it can easily get wet. End quote. We need to be a confessing people in order to be a free people in Christ. This is the end of chapter 28. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.